Welcome to Women Beyond Faith, where we are finding freedom on the other side, one story at a time. For women who have walked away from faith, the challenges are often overwhelming, isolated, abandoned by family, misunderstood by partners, ostracized by friends, shamed for thinking critically, cursed for speaking out, subdued by the patriarchy. Thank you for joining us today as we provide a platform for women to speak up, to speak out, and to share their stories because their stories count. Their stories matter. Welcome back to Women Beyond Faith and welcome back to Julie. Finally, Julie and I have been able to reconnect and um, continue our conversation related to her story growing up in the church and then her thinking critically for herself and uh, working her way out. So Julie, welcome back. Good to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here again. Yeah, it's great to chat with you. And um, I know we've kind of been in touch a little bit between between our conversations and um, there's a few pieces that I'd like us to circle back around to as we continue to, to share your journey with the listeners. And um, I think what hit me most from our conversation was the fact in the raising of our children, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that created in you this, this need and this desire to like, I don't know, to like work through your religious beliefs and to like kind of make some decisions that this didn't really line up. Whereas for me, when my kids were young, it did the exact opposite. Like for me, I buckled down even more thinking that I was failing as a human being and as a mom and as a parent and just not doing all the things correctly. Um, But for you, you had a different, a different means of handling that. So let's just kind of go back there. And um, you had a couple stories that you thought were, were very indicative of, of, um, how that worked out in your life. So, so yeah, share. sure. And actually I just had a thought occur to me as you were talking, just to say like, like we, like my family in the past year, and I think I mentioned it last time, but I'll just say it again. Like myself and my two kids have both been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder over the course since the pandemic started. So I've been learning a lot about neurodivergence, like this idea that we don't, our minds kind of work differently. And there are people who their brains just inherently operate a little bit differently from the norm. And ultimately like that, and my journey of parenting would be like the major key and why I started deconstructing my faith, because there were certain like rules, which aren't necessarily biblical rules, but when you're like really embedded in a church culture, like there are certain practices that are just like, considered the Christian way, (laughs) even if they're not biblical or whatever, but it's like, this is how the Christian, our Christian community does it. And I struggled to follow those because my kids weren't typical, like their development wasn't typical. And like, that was where I first started feeling like major tension Mm. between like, this is what they're telling me is the right Christian the way you're supposed to do it, but it's not working for our family. And then like, just feeling that tug. And it was like a genuine, like intrinsic, like 
they're telling me, my church community is telling me that this is the moral right way, but it doesn't feel like the moral right way. And so like examples of that would be just sleep practices with babies. Like this is a huge one for me because, um, I ended up co-sleeping and like, I ended up doing two things that I never necessarily set out to do in the beginning. Um, not just co-sleeping, but bed sharing, like my babies were in bed with me and I know that's not advisable, but it was my kids didn't sleep. (laughs) Like, and when I say they didn't sleep, it wasn't like regular infants. It was like, my son had to be sucking to sleep, (laughs) you know, and a passy wasn't good. It wasn't enough. Like it was nursing legitimately. And, and it was something where like, we tried so hard to put him down in a crib on his back the way you're supposed to. And it just like, it would last for 20 minutes and then he would be crying and relentless hours. Like they say, Oh, it only lasts so long. You know, I had all my friends doing the cry it out for three nights. All it takes is three nights. And we got well beyond three nights and we got well beyond two hours of the wailing. And it was just like more than any of our rattled nerves could handle, Um, you know? And so that was like the very beginning for me because it was like, okay, people are telling me that this is what I'm supposed to do, but it doesn't feel right. And it was, it was a huge internal conflict for me too, because I was scared that my baby was going to die in bed with me or whatever, you know? Um, and accidents happen. So like, I don't want to like diminish that right? because it happens, but like for us, I'm happy to say my son is nine and my daughter's seven. So we did survive infancy. (laughs) Um, but that was like the very beginning for me. And then there would have been like a time period, you know, when my son was a toddler and my daughter was an infant and I would have been like, yeah, it's funny because I would always try to go to the women's Bible studies because I was, you know, stay at home mom or whatever. And they would have like the women's ministry. And what I wanted more than anything in these was to like connect to other women and make friends. And I would say that going into it. And it's funny because I think I did three different ones. They did it like semesters, like fall, spring. So I think I did three different ones and I didn't finish a single one. I didn't stick with any of them. And the reason why is because like, and I'm really sensitive and this also has to do with my neurodivergence. And this is Mm -hmm. something I've realized, but like sort of my default to try, like if I'm trying to connect with other people, like I'll share personal anecdotes a lot, Yeah, but in the Christian circles that like just opened me up to like people wanting to like counsel me and like minister to me. (laughs) And I was like, that was never my intention. My intention was more like to like be vulnerable and hopefully Mm. usher the way for others to do the same, but it was never met with that ever. And then I always just ended up feeling very judged and like chastened by these other women who are like, trying to position themselves as like morally superior to me (laughs) and then there was this one time where like they had the notebook going around for like prayer requests and you kind of read you know the other people's and it was one of the it was the youth pastor's wife and I would have read hers and her kids are like the same ages as mine so we were like you know very much peers and she um would have read this whole thing about how because she's a nurse and so her friend's were nurses, but not Christian. And so she went into this whole spiel about how 
her friends don't believe spanking's right and they're just not Christian. So they don't understand and this whole thing in there. And it was like really judgmental of her friends, which I can see how also she was feeling judged by them. So I don't want right. to diminish that either because judgment either way is kind of crappy yeah (laughs) but it was still this like morally superior this is the way and you have to stand by the word of God and all this and at that time my son was a toddler and like I said like so he is autistic and with autistic children and he's he speaks so it's not like a non-speaking child but and he's he's actually you know it took us a very long time to get this diagnosis because he, nobody would look at him and say like, oh, I think he's autistic. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's very subtle in a lot of ways. There are things that we experience in the home that other people would never see like emotional disturbances and things, but you know, we really struggled with behaviors a lot for him. When I say behaviors, it was like meltdowns, like, but more than your typical toddler tantrum, it was just so much bigger and so much longer lasting and over things that typical kids wouldn't get that upset over. And I knew this because I was hanging out with other typical families, you know? And so then the idea that like when he was, and, and one thing I'm learning about being autistic and having meltdowns is like, you have to sort of consider a meltdown more like a panic attack Mm -hmm. and approach it from that perspective, as opposed to like an attention seeking or manipulative behavior. And that's a problem in parenting because typical, you know, typically we think of kids having tantrums as like, they're just trying to manipulate you or they're, you know, whatever reason, you know, well, that was sort of the belief system in this Christian circle. It's like, you have to sort of beat your kids into submission. I don't mean it literally beat, but even though they did spank and they were very much vocal about that being the right way, (laughs) you know, but, but like, for me, it just didn't feel right. Cause I would see my son, like things like he has, he has a fine motor delay and it took us a little while to kind of realize that, but the way it would manifest is if you're trying to get him to write or like, you know, trying to teach him to tie his shoes, it would be a huge meltdown because mm-hmm. it was so hard for him. Well, like, I'm not going to like discipline him for that. Even if he's crying for 30 minutes after, because he's beating himself up because he can't do it. Like, I'm not going to discipline him or send him to his room or alienate him like he's broken hearted, you know, and that's where it started like clicking for me. And this is also where I started to realize that, well, maybe even those neurotypical kids, because that's something else I've learned just by researching Mm -hmm. like early childhood stuff is like with any kids behavior is a communication. So it's like, even, even in neurotypical kids who have like a little tantrum, even if it's not as long lasting, Mm -hmm. it's communicating something like it's not it's not a behavior to be eradicated, but it's more of like a communication that you need to figure out what's going on underneath to like help your child, you know, but that was really the thing for me was like seeing how my son was really struggling and how me and my husband were struggling to manage all of these really big emotions that he was having, you know, and then the way my friends would say how they would handle it with their kids. And I just felt like that would be I felt like it would be abusive to do it to my kid, you know, like, yeah, definitely abusive. And I think about Julie, like, it's so beautiful that you were in tune to that. And so in tune, because like, I just think about how much difficulty most folks in our society have, like expressing their feelings 
for real. And like when we have a culture where we're told to spank and be quiet and, you know, turn that part of you off, Mm -hmm. like it just makes sense that when is it allowed to get turned back on in our society? When is it acceptable? Right. So, and like, I was fortunate that my kids were, they were very compliant. You know, we did yeah. the whole cry it out. You're, you will sleep on your own. you like, you know, and like, but I, but I, there were times where I remember letting my, my one kid cry and it was mm-hmm. more than the 20 minutes or the 30 minutes or whatever that you were supposed to allow, allow for that, for them to get it. And, right. You no. Know, and yet I kept trying with her. I kept trying with her and like, you know, for her, it did end up working out, but yeah. What are the long-term ramifications? Right. The right. trauma that they're exposed to that they now have based upon those because mom and dad were not available when they were com- trying to communicate with us that they needed something that they weren't comfortable. And um, kudos to you and your honey you know, for again, whatever it is, however it is, whether it's your neuro atypical divergent piece of that or what, it's, it's so beautiful that you were not willing to comply. Well, but I mean, it was a struggle though, in the beginning, like, cause I tried to, and that's the thing I would say, had my kids been compliant, I don't know that I would ever be where I am today, you know, because that was a huge component. It was that, that like, really authentic and deep desire to meet the demands of this like Christian parenting circle and like trying with every ounce of my personhood to meet those demands and failing. That's what made the difference for me was the fact that I tried as hard as I absolutely could to meet those demands and just couldn't. And that was when I had to confront the fact that, well, maybe there's a, maybe it isn't me. Maybe there's a problem with the demand, (laughs) you know, that's amazing. That's That's amazing to me because like, I, I, I think I played the role of your Christian friends because my kids Mm -hmm. were compliant and, you know, for the most part. And I do think that, you know, there were times where I believed that I was doing it right. You know, and these are like, I was a part of mops. I don't know if you had mops where you were mothers of preschoolers, this big Christian organization. I've heard of it. Actually. I didn't have that, you know, like we didn't have that around here, but yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. And it was, I was hugely involved in that. And like, it was just basically, we're helping each other to get through these difficult years of parenting our preschoolers. Mm-hmm. And like, I was a leader and, you know, and always a small group leader and a kind of a mentor. And I, yeah. Yeah. And I think that I was sought out to be those things because I had compliant children. Yeah. There was something that, that our family was doing correctly. We were following God's laws and, you know, the biblically lined out for us manners by which we were supposed to live. And for me, it was like Dr. Dobson you know, growing right. way, all that kind of stuff. And so I yeah. think yeah, I was, I was pointed out as being someone who had, you know, maybe more of their shit together because my kids right. happen to be compliant versus those ones with the troubled kids that we needed to help rescue and save and get you on the, <laughs> on the proper path. And exactly. How, how terrible. I want to apologize on behalf of all of those moms out there who, you know, thought that they were doing the right thing at the time when no, we were not. And like, what does that say? It just says to me, like your strength and your inner 
I don't know, resilience to be like, no, instead of making yourself feel, well, you probably did feel like a piece of shit, right? Because you were, I did. Oh, I totally did. And that was where it was conflicted for a while. But then it's funny because I'm sure this has come up in other podcasts that you've had. I, I don't know. You'll just have to tell me, but it was at some point after I hadn't quit church yet. But huh. I was, I was struggling with these things and the kids were really little still. And I just decided to pick up Rob Bell's, um, yes. what is it called? What's the book? The one, the one, the one. The one about hell. Uh, yes. That one. Uh, what was it called? Love wins. Thank you. <laughs> love yeah. wins. Love wins. And it's funny because like, I think that came out the year that my son was born. So this would have been a few years after that. And just in Christian circles, I heard people like talking about how like, oh, he's off his rocker. He totally yeah. went off the deep end and oh, all yeah. this stuff. And I was always curious because of that, because there was always that rebellious streak of, you know, not <laughs> rebellious to be rebellious, but because I struggled to meet demands, I always wondered, it made me want to be rebellious, you know, because I was like, well, I can't do what all these other people are doing. So let me find out. <laughs> with these rebels because maybe they relate to me you know yeah and so then I would have gotten it from the library and read it at the beach and he so there was that part about hell not being real you know he goes into that whole part about hell's not really a real like underworld it was really this place outside the city where they burned trash or whatever I'm sure people talked about that before but that like changed my life reading that And there was another part where he talked about, like, you don't have to go to church. Like, you can just stop going to church. And that was, like, all I needed. Like, I don't remember what the words were in the book, but it was basically, like, Rob Bell gave me permission to quit church, (laughs) and I did not go back after that. Oh, my God. He he was that kind of person that all of our friends warned us against. Yes. Because (laughs) look what's happened to us. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then life is just so much better. And then, you know, my husband too, he didn't, he didn't kind of come alongside me. I mean, he was happy to quit church because it was like, oh, now Sundays are so much easier. Like, you know, cause you have like your Saturday and that's the only day you have to get this like church takes up half the day on Sunday yeah. and then everybody's exhausted. And then, right. you know, like where'd my weekend go? Yeah, true. Um, <laughs> so he was happy about that, but he wasn't necessarily like in the same place as me in terms of like what we thought about faith and stuff. But then he started listening to the Robcast because I like would have binged all these Robcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and then through through Rob Bell, I came to know Peter Rollins, which I don't know if you've ever listened to the Robcast, but Peter Rollins is a good friend of Rob Bell's and he's this Northern Irish guy that lives in California now. Um, anyways, and he is like a philosopher and theologian and I ended up kind of getting involved in his online community. And that's ironically, like I say ironically because his whole mission, he calls it pyro theology, which is funny because in the beginning I was like, that sounds like a cult, <laughs> you know, just from my old Christian way of viewing the world, but it really isn't. Um, he just kind of, he's, I mean, he's got a PhD in philosophy. And so he kind of teaches regular people philosophy outside of a university setting and does a lot of online seminars and stuff and theology. So, you know, like, but like more of that academic kind of theology, not like Bible school theology. Right. <laughs> and, and he has this thing called like the evangelism project, which is not what it sounds like. He's <laughs> using a play on words on purpose, but the idea is to like, 
engage with people who believe the opposite of you and find out how they perceive you. So it's this idea of like, so he'll do this thing called atheism for Lent, where it's like they're studying atheist authors on purpose so that you kind of learn these different ways of viewing the world. And why, why I say it's ironic is because after going through that, I became an atheist, Yeah, <laughs> which is funny because a lot of people in his online community are still very much, they're Christian. They're like deconstructing Christians who want to do Christianity differently. But I kind of went through the whole thing and like came out the other side and was like, oh, well, I'm atheist now. And then I sort of left that community because I was like, it's too Christian. (laughs) You know, (laughs) isn't that funny? I always find it curious how some folks don't continue the path out. You know, I don't think I there's there's no way I could that I my with my neuro divergent brain. Yeah. There's no way that I can envision myself having been able to stick in and stay in and be a progressive right. like that. Like it just makes yeah. sense to me. And I wonder how many of those folks really buy into that, or if there's just some kind of fear and apprehension to like make the leap to the other side. I don't know. My guess is it's fear. I really do. I mean, just from being around them and hearing them like in that particular community, so many of them are still trying to find a way to reconcile their Christian beliefs to some of these new ideas that Peter Rollins is sharing with them. And when I hear them do that, I I can see myself in it because I was there in the beginning. It's just that I like, pushed through and then decided, okay, I'm done with this. And like, I don't need it anymore, but not everybody gets there. And I think it is that fear. It really is. The fear of hell is real. Like even when cognitively you can like read Rob Bell's book and be like, oh, hell wasn't real. It still takes a little while internally to like process and actually get to a point where you really are on board with that idea, you know? Cause it's so ingrained in us from yeah. such an early age. Obviously, if my daughter was like three and already they're saying, you know, if you want to live forever, just believe in Jesus. Right. Yeah. It's tell really, that, tell that story if you would, Julie, cause you meant, Oh yeah, I forgot <laughs> before I started recording. And I think that's a, that's a good okay. story to share with our listeners. Okay. So at this point, um, this would have been post reading Rob Bell and I would have actually, So I would have already gotten to that place where I would have thought, okay, I would have been more like um, universalist in my views, right? Where it's like, well, there's still heaven, God's still there, Jesus is still there, but like anyone has access to that and God's not sending people to hell because hell doesn't exist, you know, would have been sort of my view. And my daughter was, you know, at this Christian Presbyterian preschool and um, her like preschool teacher they had chapel and the um preschool director would have done this whole spiel on like you know all you have to do is believe in Jesus with your whole heart and then you can live forever you know because they would have put it in like preschool language and the teacher was like just thought my daughter was the most adorable thing in the world just so sincere because she would have like stood up in the middle of chapel and done a little twirl she's like this she's like very exuberant generally (laughs) and she would have like twirled and she even does this thing even still she's seven but you know like if you think of Minnie Mouse with like the fist to the chin with blinking eyes you know she does that so she would have like spun and done that you know with her little eyes fluttering like I want that I want that you know Um, And the teacher would have shared it with me like after school. And I would have had this like cringy feeling in my gut, like, (laughs) you know, and then 
I didn't directly address it at the time because I didn't know how to. And my heart broke for my daughter because I was thinking, well, now she thinks she has to believe a certain way. Because that was something Rob Bell addressed, I think, mm-hmm. in Love Wins too, was like this idea of you have to believe to go to heaven is just another like have to do something in order to get there. It's still another work kind right. of, you know, yeah. and he fleshed that out. And so I, you know, definitely didn't feel that way and was thinking like, what do I, how do I handle this with my three-year-old, <laughs> you know, because she's so sincere about it. And for her, it became an obsession over like, I don't want to die. And they're telling me I can live forever. And that was another thing that bothered me about it too, because she, like she actually, well, and here you go. She's autistic. Autistic yeah. people tend to take things very literally. Yeah. And of the three of us, she is the most literal person like of me. I mean, I do it too. And so does my son, but she is very, very literal. And so for her, if they said, just believe in Jesus and you live forever, she thought that meant she would live forever. She didn't get the whole, you're going to die and resurrect or you have eternal life after for her. It was like, you get to live forever, (laughs) you know, and that's something that we've had to, you know, I I have had to address that with her since then because uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but (laughs) you know, I had to address with her that when people died, they don't come back. You don't, you know, and that's a hard, hard thing to have to tell a kid, but yeah, yeah. but it's, but it's what's most honest and true. And like, yeah, I just was thinking about this with my kids the other day. My son sent this song. I can't think of the name of it, but it like, he was a huge, like Pixar movie fan as a kid and still is. And there's a song that kind of talks about the fairy tales. And then like, when you get to a point where you realize the fairy tales aren't real, you know, and that life yeah. is hard and that, that realization, like that we all come to eventually, you know, with our kids where they're unfortunately introduced to situations where they realize life isn't all it's cracked up to yes. be. And yes. uh, I can remember that happening a specific date where that happened for my, one of my daughters, unfortunately, but mm. like, um, yeah. And like, I don't know what the right age is to like, start introducing some of these realities for our kids but I think it's I don't know I don't know because I feel like I'm gonna be such a Debbie Downer sometimes too you know well yeah yeah Uh, it's it's hard because like with my daughter I hate to say that this is how but I'm just I'll be honest about it so again with being (laughs) I have to go back to being autistic all the time but it is it's a unique experience that people on the spectrum have (laughs) um well and other people with other you know cognitive differences probably as well or neurological differences struggle is not but um she'll sometimes like okay overly dramatize things like if she doesn't get her way right this is along the lines of a meltdown and little kids will do this you know where they'll be like I just want to die you know or I will kill myself if you don't and this is fairly recently where I've had to say listen like I, I would be devastated if you if you died and like I want you to understand that when people die, like if you died, you would be just all gone. Yeah. Like you would be gone. And she was like, really? Because I wanted her to understand the gravity of that. Like, especially, you know, I don't know, just thinking, I I don't want my kids to ever commit suicide. Yeah. Like, and everybody, I mean, thinks about this, I think, 
probably at some point. It's like, you don't want your kids to have, but, but they have to also understand that like death is a final thing. (laughs) That's a part of like understanding that that wouldn't be a good idea to do, you know, or even just that it's not a good idea to try to manipulate somebody by saying that, or, I mean, not that she was intentionally trying, I don't think it was anything like that, but the moment was right. (laughs) I felt like it was like it kind of arose naturally and so I told her and you know yeah but yeah how I mean like a hard hard truths you know we in our lives and it and like I had a, a patient at the hospital a few weeks ago um he was dement he's dement he has dementia yeah but like he had um threatened suicide for um with his family at home based upon mm-hmm. these certain circumstances that he was going through and now at the hospital upon his admission he was stating I would never do that I would never because I know that if I did that I would go straight to hell straight yeah to hell, you know and yeah. so here you have this you know like 80 year old gentleman you know yeah. still believing that you know, the, the reason why I don't right. that is because I would go to hell. And like, it's like such a, such a, it's so, so problematic in so many ways, you know, like I, yes. I hate that within our society, we are so religious in nature that, you know, he's not the only one at that age that still believes that to be the case yeah. instead of like, like hearing those hard truths and buying into them so that we could live a more realistic life. I think we'd all exactly. be healthier in the long run versus continuing to believe a lie, you know? Yes, I totally agree. <laughs> Definitely. So back to your story, back to preschool and your sweet little girl. So how much longer did did she continue in, in that preschool, in that religious preschool? So I want to say, I'm trying to think of which year that was. I think she was in the three-year-old class and then we would have enrolled again. And that would have been close to the end of the school year. She would have enrolled for her next school year, which would have been like the four-year-old group. And my son would have been in kindergarten at that point. And I actually removed her mid-year. And that's where some of the like autistic traits started surfacing where it was becoming problematic in the classroom not so much like um she wasn't like a quote bad kid or disruptive or anything but she would like withdraw socially so she would get really withdrawn and she would like ask for mommy a lot which wasn't so much that she was missing me it wasn't from that perspective but it was kind of like a scripting thing like autistic people will do that where if we Mm -hmm. can't find like sometimes you're so overwhelmed with emotion that you can't articulate what it is you're feeling or like you don't know what to say so like you might just go to this default thing that you'll say my daughter does that a lot she has like these default things that she'll just say even if it's not really what she means or is thinking at the time Mm -hmm. and that was like her default so their approach was like, she's got an attachment issue. She just wants to be with you. And they were like trying to like, it was really frustrating. Her teacher didn't handle it well either. Cause her teacher would like text me like Reagan's missing you right now. She just wanted, and then she would like let Reagan put little emojis on her text or whatever. And it'd be like, I'm like, why are you doing this right now? Like, I was so confused by it. Like, I don't understand, but it ended up like, 
her teacher was making such a big deal about it. Looking back, I think her teacher actually had like a history of being a speech language pathologist. So looking back, I think her teacher knew Mm. that she was different. And I think she was trying to communicate that to me, but, um, legally they're not allowed to say (laughs) I suspect your kid might be autistic or you know or I would recommend you go have your child evaluate they can't say anything like that so instead they drop these little hints like breadcrumbs and I didn't get it because I'm autistic (laughs) and I need people to be direct like like I just do I need people to communicate very directly I don't take hints at all and so I was just like, well, I don't know what's going on. And actually, you know what? I think my son was in first grade because then he was really struggling with his motor delay and stuff. And I was having to put him in occupational. I I was just like, I can't do all of this with both of them. I'm just taking her out. (laughs) And I just said like home preschool the rest of the year, which now I'm homeschooling both kids and we're going to keep it that way because just because of their autistic traits, like they're not to the point where like, like my son would never have a meltdown in public. Never mm-hmm. like, because he gets embarrassed and he's very self-conscious, but he like holds everything in. And there will be so many things that upset him so much during the school day, like just with his perfectionism or his anxiety. Wow. And then he would just like lose it when he got home, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then my daughter was kind of tending to go in that direction too only with her she did that thing in preschool where she would kind of get withdrawn and when she does that then she's not really responsive to the wow. adults when they're trying to like engage her you know wow. and it was kind of heading in that direction wow. <laughs> with school I mean, so yeah it's so I mean they're they are so lucky Julie to have you as their mom I mean not only you know for so many reasons obviously but like with your you're being autistic right? And you yeah. be able to understand more intimately how it is their minds work and their brains function. Yeah. And you as their mama are, you know, able to give them some space to have those temper, whatever those. Yeah. Meltdowns, panic attacks, whatever you want to call it. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you appreciate them and you comprehend them and you can identify and kind of perceive what's going on in the situation and give them space to be fully them versus having to conform to you know a school system where they have to sit down and be quiet and listen to the teacher and blah 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 and yes um that's a that's so beautiful to me because I I mean I wish every kid had that opportunity and I know as a former homeschool mom it's exhausting some days (laughs) you know yes yes but I mean like even I think it's curious because like there's so many folks the side of religion that are so opposed to homeschooling because they had this super religious Christian experience and they're so anti-homeschool. But I, I mean, I, I think we would homeschool again, you know, for for different reasons perhaps than we did initially, but like, there's just something, you are just building such strength and beauty and like confidence into your children by allowing them to like be themselves and not having to conform to somebody else's idea of, you know, what it should be like to be a seven and a nine-year-old kid. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know. Thank you. Thank you. It's tough because for me, it's really hard. Um, 
like sometimes it's hard for me to stay on top of things even, you know, or like I, I worry about like, am I doing enough or that sort of thing, you know? But then I started like researching this um, unschooling thing, which is like a whole other thing, but it's like this idea of kind of letting it be child led and they kind of show you what they're interested in. And that's actually, since I started kind of going in that direction with them, it's worked a lot better for their temperaments and their brains and stuff. And it's just this idea of like your whole lifestyle is learning. So it's like, you know, and this, what's neat about it is once you kind of shift your perspective, like I said, we watched the Simpsons as a family, which is something I was not allowed to watch right. growing up. <laughs> and, and there are things that are, you know, whatever, maybe a little mature for me, but it's, it has some of the jokes that totally fly over kids' heads, like, um, not like the inappropriate sexual ones. There were those, but some of the ones that are like current events style and political or whatever, uh-huh. like we've paused it and talked about, uh-huh. especially ones that there was one, cause we're like on season 20, we're just like watching them straight on Disney uh-huh. plus. And there was one where they had like, um, immigration it was like an immigration issue but they had like the dutch community and like all the dutch people came to live in springfield but it was dry it was a parallel because then they built a wall between the two it was a parallel to like current events with you know the american mexican border and stuff and so we were able to like pause it and say the reason why this is funny is because this is what happens. And this is what, but then, you know, and my kids are so like justice oriented that they were like, when we're talking about how there are still people who don't want to let immigrants into the United States, even though this nation became a nation it is because of immigrant, you know, Uh my son's like, that's just wrong. You know, (laughs) like, he's like, so (laughs) it's, it's kind of fun, but that's just that idea that it's like, when you kind of see life as like everything's an opportunity yes. for learning then you can turn everything into yes relevant conversation you know it's so true we were we were unschoolers were and, you yes and it like bucked you know like I've always been rebellious too like it didn't line up with what all the other Christian homeschool families it's not I know I'm so surprised and excited to hear this yeah and right, so, so we started I'm, out that way you know when my kids were preschoolers and then I tried to conform you know and there was yeah. like a half of a school year where we tried to do it you know like the way you're supposed yeah. to do it and then like um I read books about unschooling and I was like no this is how I want to live my life yes and our family to live our lives and um yeah I mean it was it was beautiful I mean I'm sure you're doing it way better than than I was than I did <laughs> I felt like I had to somehow conform to that Christian homeschool yeah lifestyle but like I I mean I I think it's super beautiful have you ever seen that movie um Captain Fantastic with Vigo no Watson? it's a little uh-uh. bit it's a little bit disturbing because like they become like they're super homeschool unschoolers and they live in the mountains. They become very isolated. And mom had a mental health struggle with like depression and suicidality, but like they have this most beautiful relationship with one another, you know, and siblings with each other. And it's not perfect. There's lots of struggles and issues, but but yeah. I'm torn. I'm just torn because that's the way I think we should all be living our lives. Yeah. Like, and, and yet at some point we have to figure out how to conform somehow to society so that we can 
whatever, make money to pay the bill, exactly. good neighbors or, you know, and it's right. struggle. And like for my kids, you know, now that they're all young adults, like it worked out okay for them, us, you know, being unschoolers. And there were different times that it was a struggle. Like when, you know, you feel like you want to get into college and you like, okay, do I have to take the SAT and the ACT? Right. So do I have to now become more conformist in our yes. mathematical education? But like, damn it, like we got, we have some incredible memories and it just gave us and my kids an ability to like be themselves. And honestly, Julie, like, you know, my son, you know, who was ultimately the one that I believe was responsible for leading our family to freedom, this side of faith. Yeah. Like I know the means by which we homeschooled our kids that unschooling where we allowed them to lead us yeah you know, and that we trusted them to that to teach us something as parents right that goes against the grain when you're yes <laughs> but like I believed in them and I trusted them and I knew that they had so much to bring to the table and and really I give a lot of that credit to the unschooling means by which we homeschooled our kids like it was a lifestyle for us in so many ways that's amazing I'm so, I'm so excited, excited for you guys. <laughs> I'm so excited too like oh my gosh this is so like affirming because the other thing that I've been like dealing with too is like um just changing the standard of like oh they have to go to college or whatever it's like yeah. this idea that I don't know because I was I was listening to it like an unschooling podcast recently and I was like the lady was talking about how her kids just what they did was um they went to community college to take some like remedial math or English yeah. you know courses and then they were able to get into that I was like that's all you have to do like it was like so I don't know I don't know if they I think what she said and I guess maybe it's different depending on which school you want to go to and stuff but it was like the idea that they didn't have to take the SAT because yeah. they could take the courses at the community college and then just transfer to the university after yes, that's what my kids did <laughs> so I'm like yes that's so much better <laughs> because then they're more I'm thinking like well then they're more developmentally like ready for that content anyways you know instead yeah. of trying to force things on them when they're not really ready because right. that's the thing with like my daughter when we were doing this is what made me stop school wasn't so much remote learning in itself it was seeing how fast they were going yeah and and both of my kids and this is where like okay so they had their full battery of tests when we were you know having them evaluated by right. the neuropsychologist and they both have very high iqs uh-huh. But they still really struggle. So my daughter has a high IQ, but she has some processing challenges, which like showed up in her. So it's like, and I saw that. I saw it when I was like in her bedroom with her, watching the teacher zoom through this material. And I was like, she just her brain can't process that quickly. Right. And I also know as being a former classroom teacher that even though that was a remote learning environment, that is how fast they go. Yeah. <laughs> like it wasn't any different. Right. Than, I mean, apart from the fact that she would have been in person and been with other people, but like the pace that they were going through the material was no different, you know? Right. And that's when I really realized I was like, oh, it isn't just that remote learning isn't working. Like this isn't the right environment for this child, you know, where wow. my son, my son, I could say, honestly, in spite of the fact he has a fine motor delay. So writing is like 
Hmm. His writing is significantly like when I talk about writing, I'm talking about the manual right. using a pen and writing. Pen if if he's like dictating to a computer, he could write an essay. Oh. That, like uh, just as good as me. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. how fluent his verbal right. articulation is, but like manual motor skills, he can't do all of oh. that writing, you know. Right. But in spite of that, like, and he had a 504 plan and all of this. So there were accommodations in place for it. I think he could have just managed his way through school. I just think he would have been a neurotic mess at the end of it. Yeah. You know, and just who trying wants to... that. Who, who exactly? Kid, you know, like, <laughs> like I exactly I feel like homeschooling for us was a mixed bag. My kids are yeah. amazing people and like the memories we have and the things that we did the adventures we went on were incredible and yet there I mean like I think it's foolish for anyone to think that it's perfect right there are some (laughs) downsides and yet I feel like if you're going to place you know that all of it on a scale like uh my son's never actually said to me like mom thanks for homeschooling us yeah my, my girls have you know, like they yeah. it really helped them to become the women they are today, you know? And I think my son, yeah. that to be true, but like, you know, for someone like him, like he didn't, he ended up not going to college. He didn't want to go to college and he, and we didn't necessarily encourage him to like, we were, yeah. you don't have to go like, and he's a smart intellectually challenged, he, not intellectually challenged. What does it mean? Like, but yeah super smart, intellectual young man, and he works hard and he's doing great in life, you know, but I think life could have been easier for him if like, maybe we had forced him. Ah, I never forced my kids really do anything, but forced him to go to like high school maybe. And like, you know, be more of a conformist in life. And cause I think life for him could be easier if he had gone to college and gotten a degree. Right. Wouldn't have to work so hard to kind of prove himself. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's a mixed bag, but I, yeah, I think it's it's a win. It was a win for us. It is well, and it's interesting too because, like, I thought it was interesting what you said about um, homeschooling. Like a lot of people post religion or anti homeschooling. I would have to say I was like I was, but it was only because of the neurodivergence and like I. If the pandemic hadn't happened, I don't think I would ever have done this either, but it was like having them in my home and seeing how it was like, and the ways that they were struggling brought to light to me, um, how they were probably struggling, like in the classroom too. It just like helped me to see that the things that I was seeing at home were things that like were also happening at school or like yeah. in the case of my son, he was holding it in at school and, wow. you know, whereas he could turn off his camera and turn off his mic and like yes. have a little meltdown without anybody knowing, but like at school, he'd be holding that in all day, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's one thing where I'd say the pandemic made this <laughs> happen for us, you know? That's amazing. I mean, um, like, you guys have had a, you, this pandemic girlfriend <laughs> has done a lot for your family like I mean that's probably not the right way to say that but you know I like, know <laughs> a huge year of growth for you guys it has been it, it really has been like there's so many good things that came out of it which again that's like I can say that from a place of immense privilege I know it has yes. not been that way for all people right. but right <laughs> wow yeah. okay so okay I've never done this before 
but we only got through like one one point on my little <laughs> here and like we've been talking for like over an hour yeah so <laughs> I I would like if you would if you would please say yes um, <laughs> you have I'm another, gonna say yes okay to have another, <laughs> another conversation because again this like the last time like we have a lot still to work through and yeah um if that's okay with you, I would like to do that um, and have Julie part three. Yes, I'm happy to. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, let's do that because I don't want to cut your story short. And like I said, my long list here, we got through number one, but that was such (laughs) great conversation. And who knew the unschooling piece? Like I, like, I know I I have resources. There was a book that I read every year because every year I would question myself, is this the right thing? Should we be doing this? Like yeah. it's going against the grain in every area that I know, but I knew in my heart, I trusted myself intuitively. I knew that it was the right thing to do for our yeah. children. And uh, it was something like homeschooling our children, unschooling ourselves or something like that but I'll, I'll i'll send you i'll send you some of the resources i use that we're i really- love that yeah all right <laughs> young lady it's been a pleasure and i will be in touch in the not so distant future okay sounds okay, good thanks, julie have a good one thank you you all too right, bye Thanks for joining us today on Women Beyond Faith, where we are finding freedom on the other side, one story at a time.